0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of our 7investing podcast. I'm 7investing founder and CEO, Simon Erickson. I'm very excited for today's show because we're going to be talking about programmatic advertising. We've seen the world kind of unbundle the cable TV subscriptions we've gotten used to and start going over the top. And that's going to have some big changes for the digital advertising industry. And so I'm welcoming a very special guest, uh, somebody who is an individual investor that Covers this programmatic advertising space. And that's Deval Kotecha. Uh, Deval, a good friend of mine, really always looking forward to hearing your perspective on this market. Thanks for being a part of our 7investing podcast today. I'm pleased to be here. Deval, now we're going to do things a little different than our normal podcast because you actually prepared some wonderful slides for our presentation. I'd like you to get a chance to go through those first and then we'll follow up with a more detailed conversation. But if we could start this off with Professor Kotecha walking us through the, the overview of some of the things going on in the industry, I think that spot us up pretty nicely for a conversation afterwards.
1: Absolutely, um, I will share my screen and uh, we can get going with the presentation.
0: Perfect, I will hand the floor to you, my friend.
1: All right, awesome, are you able to see my screen? Absolutely. Excellent. So I will be talking about the overview of the paid TV and the transition to OTT. Uh, as uh, the the linear TV, um, the ads were um, sold as upfront. So what upfronts meant was uh, the advertisers would approach the TV channels and uh, they will Uh, sign a contract saying, okay, these are the ads that we are going to be buying from you for these particular ad slots. Now, these ad slots were bought based on um, like what shows uh, are playing on that particular channel and when those shows are kind of uh, broadcasted. And based on that, they are trying to guess uh, what would be Um, the user demographic that are viewing that show. And accordingly, they are uh, planning to buy those ad spots. Now, the problem with the ad upfronts was that there was uh, no measurement of like who is uh, seeing your ads. And uh, like, I I cannot tell if the ads are performing well or ads are not performing well because I don't have any sort of data with my upfronts. Now, the world moved from upfronts to programmatic uh, because of the pandemic when uh, what happened basically was uh, during the pandemic, there was no original content coming in the linear TV, uh, the live sports, those kind of stuff. So now what happened was people were paying for their cables and now uh, they wanted to cut the cost. So what they did was they looked for options where uh, they got like free content. Now, what happened was when the when the subscribers were cutting the cards and they were moving to uh, seeing the free content, uh, the marketers also were seeing that shift happen. And uh, what that meant was they also started moving to where uh, the, the subscribers were moving to, and they were moving to programmatic. And now with programmatic, what's happening is they have so much more data about what user is watching your show and they could do what they could do is they could kind of target you specifically, target the subscriber specifically and show them that ad, uh, which is much more relevant than what, uh, upfront would be able to show. Right. So, um, This is what happens when um, the upfronts is the traditional TV buying here. Um, The targeting is is very limited because uh, you are not sure who is watching your ads, Uh, but with the programmatic connected TV buying, um, you could target the households in real time. You could absolutely tell who is watching your content here and you can target them. And that's where the connected TV buying, if you see like more CPMs compared to uh, the lower CPMs uh, on the upfronts. Um, uh, this is a graph from uh, eMarketer where we are seeing uh, the US pay TV versus non-pay TV households. And the pay TV households are declining rapidly. Uh, over like the few years and uh, starting from 2019 to 2020, it went from 84 million to 77 uh, million um, households, which is a dramatic shift um, in, in the number of households which are consuming the pay TV and also the non-pay TV households, they are increasing. So what the pay TV households are, are your uh, cable TV, um, households, whereas the non-Pay TV households would be your Roku's and uh, anything that you are uh, using the streaming services for. Uh, on the right-hand side, I have one more stat where uh, the spending, um, the total ad global uh, total global ad spending, which is reported by Trade Desk, total is $725 billion. Out of that $725 billion, $230 billion are still spent on the linear television. Now, if this uh, linear television, people are cutting the cord, uh, and now the marketers are not spending it on the linear television, now we know where that $230 billion would be assigned to. And the answer is connected TV. Um, We are seeing this Uh, pan out when we are seeing the connected TV ad spending grow up year over year. In 2019, it's $6.38 billion. 2020, it's 8.11, projected at 18.29 for 2024, which is huge. And if you look at one stat, which was from Magna Global, uh, the OTT accounts for 29% of TV viewing, but so far only has captured 3% of TV ad budgets. Now, this is there's, there's a big gap between this just because if you see uh, the ad budgets have not moved still uh, where the viewers are moving. So there's a huge opportunity of uh, the TV ad budgets moving to uh, the companies and the companies which are going to be a beneficiary here are the DSPs and the SSPs, of the industry in the ecosystem, right? So uh, there's a enormous potential here in the ad tech space uh, as it stands here. Um, This is a recent survey uh, conducted by the Trade Desk uh, along with YouGov and this is December, 2020. So this is a very uh, recent survey and if you look at the key findings, we are seeing the same findings here, which we saw starting uh, Q2 and Q3 of 2020, which is cost is driving the card cutting. People don't want to pay for the cable subscription. They prefer the um, the ads uh, the, the award basically, which is uh, ad based video on demand. Um, consumers look to CTV for sports. Uh, They conducted the survey where 39% of sports viewers are now watching sports primarily on ad-supported streaming platforms or social media platforms. Um, And the TV buyers on the other side, they are also rethinking the upfronts because with upfronts, you get very little flexibility um, and uh, you don't have that level of precision as well with upfronts. Um, And On on the other side, uh, we are also seeing that the marketers are boosting the connected TV skills. Marketers are favoring CTV because it's more effective than uh, the linear TV. Um, So so those are the key findings and it is all going in the direction where uh, CTV uh, is benefiting here. We are going to see this trend continue in the next few years. Roku also, if you saw, uh, they posted some preliminary results, um, like um, early preliminary results um, for the Q4. And this was the first time they hit um, the 50 million active accounts um, as of December 31, 2020, which is 285% growth from December 31st of 2016. And uh, in Q4 itself, uh, they grew like uh, 5.2 million accounts. and. If you look at year-over-year, year, um, the active accounts, uh, it it was a 45% uh, increase in year-over-year. Year. Uh, and uh, if you look at the hour stream, uh, which is 58.7 billion hours, that's 55% year-over-year. Year. Uh, hour streamed in just Q4 is also 54 per, 55% year-over-year. Year. Uh, this is a tremendous uh, growth in the connected TV space. Um, I also wanted to share um, what's taking place behind the scenes. And I had posted a few of these slides uh, on Twitter, but I still wanted to go over how the real-time bidding works um, in in the background. And um, also wanted to talk about a few players in the ecosystem. So on the left-hand side, it begins with the publisher. In the middle, you have SSP. And on the right-hand side, you have the DSP and the advertisers. So basically what happens is the user opens a publisher website on their device. They are integrated with uh, SSP and SSP is the one who is um, responsible to conduct an auction. Here, SSP is a company like Magnite or Pubmatic which are uh, also integrated with um, the DSPs. Now on the DSP side, we have the trade desks, media math, ad form, uh, which are um, responsible to be um, having uh, those campaigns uh, running on behalf of the agencies and the advertisers, right? So in this scenario, if the user opens a, a, a website on the device, the request gets sent in the real time to SSP asking them to fill that ad spot. The SSP is responsible to send those requests to the DSPs, which it has integrated with. And uh, the DSPs will look at what information is coming in the bid request. And uh, based on that, they have those campaigns running on behalf of advertiser. They determine what bid price they should bid on if they even want to bid on. And uh, once they bid on that particular request, that response is sent to the SSP again uh, from all of them if they choose to bid. And SSP is responsible to conduct an auction and uh, determine which was the highest bid price and um, send that ad to the publisher's device. Now, all of this thing happens in less than 100 milliseconds which is is very fast because the ad is loaded almost at the same time where the content is being shown uh, on the device, right? So this helps to monetize the publisher because publisher is the one which is uh, generating that content uh, and they want to monetize themselves. Uh, On the other side, the advertisers are also happy because now the advertisers can reach to uh, the people who are on the publisher's device, they are wanting to view that content and seen, they deem the end user as relevant for their brand, right? So that's a win-win for everybody in, in this ecosystem. And uh, it's not something where uh, the advertiser is not knowing who they are sending their ads to, right? So uh, this is how the real-time bidding works. Um, now, I also wanted to touch upon the Trade Desk Unified ID solution because this is an important thing uh, that has come up in the recent past. But I wanted to give a brief history of why the TTD uh, Trade Desk uh, Unified ID solution is needed. Um, so, if I want to go back, uh, look at some history on uh, how the cookies um, came into picture and uh, all these browsers, what they are doing. Basically, if you look on the top side, it's the first party cookies. On the bottom side, there are third party cookies. So moving towards more privacy, uh, if you look um, Safari, Firefox, and Chrome, right? Those browsers are coming up with innovative solutions to provide more privacy to the end users. And uh, what that means is, like there are first party cookies and third party cookies. So cookies basically are like random strings that are set on the user's browser. They help uh, tracking that particular user. Now the first party cookie is where the publisher is setting the first party cookies uh, on your browser just to be making your user experience much better, which means that Uh, If you say, I want to have 30 items loaded on my page when I visit the website, then that preferences get stored in the first-party cookies so that when you go back to the same website, it's the first-party cookie, you get better experience, right? Now, the third-party cookies, on the other hand, is used for tracking purposes, where uh, third-party cookies is not something that is owned by the publisher, but it's by someone else. And they could use that cookie to track you and basically understand, okay, uh, what are your behaviors? And based on your behavior, they could uh, try to send you an ad, right? Um, Now, because um, like the third party cookies uh, are um, not a a good way uh, for like all these browsers and particularly Apple and Google here, What they're trying to do is they're trying to um, get away with the third party cookies because they want to protect the privacy of the end users. So Chrome announced on 2020 that uh, they are going to get rid of uh, the third party cookies. And that was a big deal. There was a lot of media around it, but this thing like on Safari and Chrome uh, on on Firefox, this has been there (coughs) since 2014, right? Um, Why was that a big deal? Just because Chrome uh, market share is around 64%, whereas Safari and Firefox around like 19 and 3% and the rest of the browsers are very less. So when Chrome announced it, it was a big deal, now people need to come up with a solution to, um, to make sure that now that signal is lost, how would we be able to track the users, right? so now trade desk is coming up with um, a, a solution and and this is how basically the cookies are are shown on the web page where there's no good explanation on what the cookies are getting used for they say okay we use the cookies for personalizing your experience by continuing you agree to use are cookies right? This is not a good information provided to uh, the end user, and every user will tend to think, "Okay, cookies are bad, right?" So we don't want to use cookies. They might not agree to use the cookies, etc. So this is the solution that um, Trade Desk came up with was uh, Open ID. Now cookies, what can happen is I could remove all the cookies from the website. And I could just uh, lose um, the like the information that the uh, DSPs will get that can get lost, right? So now what um, Trade Desk is coming up with a solution is called a Unified ID Solution, which replaces cookies and uh, it upgrades uh, the privacy controls for the consumers and also preserve relevant advertising. So people are not bothered with, like most of the people are not bothered with relevant advertising. What bothers them is irrelevant advertising, right? So if I am a 20-year-old unmarried single person, right, Uh, I am not a a person who I should be seeing like um, an ad for a diaper, right? So again, like people are, are not wanting to look at those sorts of ads. But if the ads are relevant, then yeah, why not? Uh, the solution here, what Trade Desk is doing is it's coming up with a hashed encrypted open source um, solution where you cannot convert it back to the email address, right? So now this OpenID, it has to work with all the players in the ecosystem. And we are seeing a lot of partnerships coming from uh, SSPs uh, and also coming from the publishers, right? So the SSO consent here is um, single sign-on across the internet. So what this will do is, you you go onto that website uh, once, and you provide your email address. Based on that, they will know okay who you are. So you need to provide the email address once, that once for every website you visit, if you want to go and uh, read or access their content, right? So framework for for publishers is very important because this is going to be driven by the publishers because publishers will be the one who would be collecting those email addresses and would be responsible for the success of this solution because now uh, they are responsible to explain the value of value exchange uh, to the internet users, right? So uh, Jeff Green talks about quid pro quo of the internet, which is you allow us to send you relevant advertising for in exchange of free content, right? So publishers is where everything starts and publishers are responsible to make that clear to uh, the end users. And therefore this framework is also made available by uh, trade desk to uh, them, right? And then this is controls for consumers where consumers can say, okay, I want to be sure, I want, to, I'm okay to get the ad from this 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 advertisers or this type of advertiser. I don't want to see the ads for this type of advertiser. So I don't want to see an ad for, say, uh, a car. Um, so I want to block say automotive at like on a on a higher level. But I'm okay to see the ads for say uh, say media or any sorts of say books, right? Um, and therefore, like I can, I as a consumer would be able to control that. And this is a win-win for everyone. Now, I, I prepared us uh, a graphic here to explain how this works. Um, so basically the first step, uh, publisher's website, you put in the email address. If you are visiting it for the first time, you submit that email address. Um, and uh, what the unified ID code does is it hashes that email address and then it encrypts that hash, converts it into a a ID, which is a TDID, and that is provided to an SSP. Now SSP is responsible to be forwarding it to uh, the DSPs and based on the the unified ID, uh, they are able to track that user. They don't need cookies here to track. um, These unified IDs are more than enough to determine, okay, who is this user? based on his email address. And uh, the SSP then sends the relevant ad to the publisher website. The most important thing here is the encrypted hash. They cannot, it, it can never con- be converted back to uh, the email address, which is a PII, which is personally identifiable information. Uh, and this is where the security of the unified ID comes into picture. Um, and uh, yeah,
0: uh, that was uh, it, uh, Duval That was that was fascinating. Thank you for such a thorough presentation, walking us through what's going on. Now, you and I are both engineers, so we're going to love getting into the details of you know the hashes and the IDs and all of the 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 uh, nitty gritty. But just to kind of lay the land of this in, in layman's terms. Um, right we've kind of at the far end got the publishers, right? So Seven Investing is creating content. People right. are coming to our website, we're publishing that out there. And, and you know, that's that's kind of at the, the far end of the spectrum. And then the middle, you said DSPs and SSPs a lot. Right. So Seven Investing was to want to use an ad tech platform Mm-hmm. a supply side platform, an SSP to manage a lot of the inventory we have on our site. So we might want to start showing some advertisements. We're not, by the way, this is purely hypothetical, but if we were mm-hmm. wanting to, we might work with one of those companies like Magnite to start actually programmatically placing those advertisements. And of course, there's another side of that to a demand side platform, a DSP, like you said, that's then working with the advertisers themselves and the ads that they're wanting to place. And it's all kind of in the middle Um right taking place programmatically. My, my big first question for you is, it seems like that entire ecosystem is in flux. Uh, you talked about Unified ID2 and Trade Desk and, and companies like Magnite are pushing for an open source, uh, less invasive system to start placing those ads. Are you seeing that the publishers are also on board with these changes and these moves away from cookies to a new solution like that?
1: Yes, Um, I I think that publishers have no other option but to embrace this uh, new technology because if publishers will not start embracing um, this sort of unified ID, then what will happen is third party cookies will go away. And now publishers will not have, uh, so publishers will not be able to monetize Um, their content in the best possible way, right? So now the CPMs will drop uh, for that publisher because now advertisers don't have the information on the publisher, right? So the most important part in this puzzle is the publisher being able to embrace this unified ID and it starts with them because they are the ones where the end users are going to for uh, getting the content.
0: And and we've been seeing this and kind of framing programmatic so much in terms of internet websites, right? And then everybody went after mobile at the same time too. And we did header bidding and all the other uh, innovative things taking place in this space. But but you mentioned something very interesting that television is perhaps the next horizon for this market. What was the stat that you said? There's a $230 billion in linear TV spend, but only $8 billion of that's taking place on connected TV or programmatic mm-hmm. TV, yes. um, so 30x increase. I mean, are we seeing the same transition in television that we've seen in um, in the internet and, and desktop and mobile?
1: Yes, absolutely. And uh, and this has been a, a shift that got accelerated just because of the pandemic. And uh, Anthony Wood, he the CEO of Roku, he mentioned uh, this as the decade of streaming. Right. So. Uh, people are moving towards um, the the content, which is um, ad supported. Uh, and uh, like, based on the surveys, again, right, what we saw was people don't want to spend more than $20 uh, for any sort of streaming services. So what they're trying to do is, they are trying to add a free ad supported platform, along with uh, the streaming services, right? So basically, if you look, say, if I want to own, like, I have a streaming service, say, Netflix, um, then I would, I'm paying a certain amount for Netflix. Then, I, if I am, ha- like, I want a Disney, then I'm paying something for Disney. Then, like, you can keep piling up that cost, and that cost will be exorbitant at one point. Um, so, what people are trying to do is they are trying to keep those services, like some of them, but then also trying to also go to channels like Roku channel where they are getting free content, but they will have to just see those ads, right? So so that's where the world is moving. And, um, and according to uh, Roku, like all this content, which we are seeing, we are paying for, they will be ad supported at one point in time.
0: And do you have opinions on on what type of content is going to drive advertising in this new over-the-top world? I mean, to set the uh, the stage for that, I mean, bundled cable was so heavily subsidized by live sports, right? ESPN in particular commanded a disproportionate size of, of cable bills just because everyone was tuning in and, and buying the bundle just because right. they wanted to watch live sports. That's not the case anymore. We see, you know, companies like Fubo that are, you know, giving people over the top options or the skinny bundles that you now have some live sports coverage. I've even watched football games on Twitter this year for free. Right. Um, how do you, do, do you think that live sports is still the premium content that people are going to watch or, or if, if not, uh, what, what content is going to be driving the advertising uh, prices in this new over the top world?
1: Yeah so I I definitely think uh live sports uh is going to drive uh advertising on the connected TV because uh that's the shift that we we saw when everything stopped uh amidst the pandemic right so original content right so that's that stopped and that moved people from the linear TV they cut the cable and they they moved to the connected TV Uh, because of of all those reasons. Now, we are not expecting them to go back uh, to switching to linear TV again, like uh, getting the cable subscriptions again. So they will, people who have moved already will stick to the connected TV for uh, the the sports and uh, original content. And uh, yeah, so coming to your point, uh, I I do think that uh, sports is going to be a big driver there.
0: Sure. And, and kind of in the middle section, right, between the publishers we talked about and the advertisers, uh, let's talk about the DSPs and the SSPs, the, the ad players, the ad tech platforms. Uh, you've done a lot of work in this, including your, your personal uh, work, Duvall. I, I, Which Which of these players do you think stands out? We've talked a lot about the trade desk as a right. DSP. Uh, We've talked about Magnite as an SSP, but you also mentioned Pubmatic and, you know, I know LiveRamp is in there. There's several other players. I mean, how do you see the relationships between those? Is there consolidation that happens in this place, in this space? And uh, who do you think is the front runners in terms of the platforms?
1: So... Uh, in ad tech, everything works based on relationships, and uh, if they have good relationships, that's where uh, they are. Uh, they are going to do well. And I see on the DSP side, um, Trade Desk is the number one player, and I I continue seeing them as a leader in that space. On the SSP side, I I see Magnite as the top dog on on the SSP side, and again they have. Um, Relationships with publishers and also relationships with the DSPs, right? So, uh, again, on the exclusivity of the content as well, uh, Rubicon and Talaria when they merged, they became Magnite. With Talaria, they had exclusive relationships with uh, Hulu, Disney. So, uh, basically, um, when they have those sorts of exclusive relationships, that is very important in the ad tech space and I, I do think uh, those are the two companies that are are really uh, poised for success uh, in in the coming future when we are seeing such uh, over the top connected TV trends spanning out. And also um, Roku, right. So Roku is a, is a very special player uh, in this space because now they own the content as well. Uh, with Roku channel and they have a lot of other uh, streaming platforms um, uh, that people can uh, play on their platform too. And also they have uh, something called OneView which is uh, the data zoo acquisition uh, which they made a couple of years back. Um, So they are also in a strong commanding position uh, in this space uh, specifically for connected TV.
0: And I'm curious, do you have any thoughts about Netflix? This is kind of tangential to this conversation because Netflix wants to charge you a subscription and build all of its own content and not have any advertising. But do you think Netflix um, continues to be as dominant as it's been for the last 10 years? Or is this kind of a a shift away from what Netflix has been trying to build?
1: So Netflix is a a different kind of a story where they are charging people for subscriptions. But Again, uh, like I I saw uh, Jeff Green, uh, CEO of Trade Desk. He talks about, he envisions Netflix uh, to be a, like turning to an A-word model uh, from an S-word model in the near future because uh, he thinks that it's not sustainable for Netflix to operate based just on the subscription because now majority of the people Uh, they are able to, like, they have a subscription to Netflix. So where would the next uh, growth uh, come from? Uh, International is one avenue, but still there are uh, limitations on on that front too. And um, the best way for them to move forward would be to provide a model where they could have a a kind of a model where they could have ads uh, along with their uh, subscription service and uh, do some sort of a hybrid model instead of just relying on the subscription services.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. And even comparing Netflix to a company like Disney, who is of course all in on content, Disney plus is blowing it out of the water right now, completely yeah. knocking it out of the park in subscribers. But then also, you know, they tried out the Hulu experiment. They've been very willing to work with, with advertisers and building out kind of the, uh, the front end of the service too. Uh, Deval, we'll we'll change gears in just a second here, because I'd like to hear some advice that you have for individual investors, which is who uh, our audience is for our Seven Investing podcast. But before we get to that, could you tell us a little bit about the FinTwit Summit that you are working on right now and what that is and and why we might be interested in this?
1: So, we came up with this idea of uh FinFit summit where we wanted to um, share knowledge and uh, we have uh, a lot of people on FinFit that people follow on day-to-day basis and they share like tremendous content. And one of them is you. And uh, uh, we have almost around uh, 13 speakers confirmed at this point, um, two of them are still tentative but a 15 speaker lineup uh, spanning over uh, it like a day and a half to two days, um, and uh, and people are just going to learn a lot from from this summit. So uh, we are just trying to um, share as much information as possible from the amazing speakers that we have got, um, and um, and and grow together. So um, it's it's going to be um, a great thing. Um, it's going to be huge. Uh, we have almost have around seventeen hundred people showing their interest um, in in the Fentwit Summit. So Fentwit Summit is going to be around um, the second week or the third week of March. Uh, that's what we are aiming for at this point. We are working uh, with the platform partners. We are working with everybody to make this happen. So um, stay tuned for that. Um, uh, we are pretty excited for for that summit.
0: I'm very excited about it too, right? You know, our mission with our company is to empower individual investors and you put together quite a lineup of some incredible investors that we're going to all be able to learn from, um, in a, in a single day, right? Deval, this is going to be a single day or is it going to be a, a little longer?
1: So it We were initially thinking of a single day, but with 15 speakers, if people are talking about for an hour, then we would want to go like (laughs) an hour and a half to, uh, sorry, a day and a half to two days, right? So that's the plan.
0: Yeah, really looking forward to that. We'll put a link uh, for people that are interested in the FinTwit Summit into this podcast description. But let's, let's close out with, with some of your advice as well, Deval. You know, I, I've always looked to you. Uh, we chatted actually earlier this year when we interviewed you about investing in India. You came with an incredible thorough presentation for that as well. You've got another one here talking about programmatic advertising. But let's kind of look maybe at the 10,000-foot level. Uh, just as an investor, I really liked one of the, the tweets that you had earlier uh, this month which you, you retweeted from someone else, but it said, if you get 1% better every single day of the year, look at the compounding of where you'll be after 365 days. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And and I just wanted to kind of close out with you, maybe providing a couple tips that you have for individual investors who want to do a better job in their returns in the stock market.
1: Right. So I would say I'm not capable of providing advice to anyone, but uh, what I would say is this is what, this is the advice that I give to myself every single day. Right. So I have uh, five things uh, which I tell to myself, right. One thing is keep it simple because in this, uh, like when it comes to investing, I have tried a lot of different tips and tricks. And ultimately I have come to a realization that if I keep it simple, I dollar cost average into my investments and um, put, every single paycheck into uh, the stock market every single month or bi-weekly, then uh, I will see much better results than just trying to speculate or just trying to uh, go and jump from one stock to the other. Right? So keeping it simple is the first thing that I tell to myself. The second thing is less is more when it comes to investing. So uh, I was a type of investor where I tried to look at the stock prices every single day uh, multiple times a day and I still try to and I I still do it like multiple times a day still but um, I don't try to kind of make decisions based on what's happening in the market on on a day-to-day basis Uh, Just trying to focus on my work more and then looking at the stock market less. Um, So less is more uh, when it comes to investing. The third thing is know what game you are playing. So if you are looking at someone who is making a hundred percent returns, you don't know what game they are playing. You just need to look at your game and uh, try to play it your way. So if you look at the media, CNBC, they are playing a different game to you if you are just trying to invest for long-term, right? So if you are listening to a trader and then you are an investor, then you are not understanding what game you are playing. You are taking cues from someone else. The fourth thing that I tell myself is risk is something that is not knowing what you are owning, right? So um, if I don't know what I am owning, Uh, and just trying to, um, just trying to take cues from someone else who is telling me, okay, this is the best stock here. I don't understand it. Then, uh, then that's not going to work. And that's where like people like you, 7investing provide a stellar research in, 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 in getting that risk level down because if people are not understanding the business and they're wanting to own that stock, they don't know what they're doing. So once the stock goes down, then they don't know if they want to add more or they want to sell, right? And the fifth thing, the most important thing, this is what I learned from Steve Jobs, is stay hungry, stay foolish, right? So be curious and uh, try to learn every single day and uh, you will be better uh, if you try to learn um, on a daily basis. So those are the few advice that I have it written in front of me and uh, I try to follow them on a daily basis.
0: Those are fantastic words of wisdom, Deval. I love those. Keep it simple. Less is more. Know what game you're playing. Risk is not knowing what you're getting into, and then stay hungry. Um, I really like three and four together. Just, just I think that that is the perfect description of, you, you know, you see so many people out there that are trying to It's almost FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. People are posting, oh, I'm up 300% this year. And everyone just says, oh, well, let me just buy immediately whatever stocks they're buying without really knowing what they're getting into. And maybe that doesn't match their risk tolerance. And you definitely want to know the companies that you're investing in. And um, certainly chatting with you on on this podcast has has opened my eyes and hopefully our audience's eyes to what's going on in, in advertising and programmatic and the internet. And then we chatted with you about India. So we'll have another topic, I'm sure in a few months to discuss as well. But I I really appreciate your perspective as always here with our 7investing podcast.
1: Absolutely, it was a pleasure.
0: And once again, Deval Kotecha, uh, our guest today, you can follow him on Twitter. I also follow his uh, his pin twit summit that's coming up here in a few months. Uh, Really appreciate his perspectives on our podcast today. And once again, we're here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7investing.